0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Tingling ling city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh news Peggerman meets such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press.
1: Welcome to the Media Project, an inside look at media coverage of current events. I'm Nat Rex Smith. I'm Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette, and now I'm vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. I'm filling in as host this week while Rex is away. Joining us today is investigative journalist and RPI and UAlbany professor Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogan and adjunct professor at at UAlbany, and WAMC's news director, Ian Pickus. Thanks all for being with us.
2: Hello. Let's rock
1: and roll here. So let's start with uh, ProPublica and its investigation into Samuel Alito, the Supreme Court Justice. Their latest uh, investigation has revealed that Justice Alito took a luxury fishing trip in 2008 as a guest of a billionaire Republican donor and had not disclosed the trip nor recused himself from cases since then. It was just the latest. Um, It was earlier this year that... uh, ProPublica wrote about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and the fact that he had taken some lavish trips from a wealthy Republican donor and had not disclosed this. So my first question is, what does this say about the press corps that covers the Supreme Court? They are so reverential towards the justices that this has eluded them for years and years and years. Rosemary, what do you think? Uh,
3: The Supreme Court's a really hard institution to cover. They don't allow uh, cameras in. They just only recently, under COVID restrictions, allowed even listening to recordings of their deliberations. Um, There's huge secrecy around everything in that court. It's hard to talk to the justices at all. They're not even supposed to talk, although increasingly they are. You notice how many speeches we're hearing them give around the... the country these days, um, and deliberations are all in secret. Um, it's it is a very difficult institution to cover. Um, Woodworth of uh, Woodward and Bernstein um, famously broke that open with a book in the late seventies. Right, the brethren, the brethren, right, where he began. Uh, they began talking about it, opened our eyes to how negotiations, really talks between the justices and among the justices, resulted in in, in big rulings, um, but never have they looked at the ethics. Um, ethics have not been a big problem in the court, with the exception of um, Eisenhower, error justice, who was accused of taking money. He admitted to it. It was above board and open, and he, uh, he, he did talk about it. It was still enough of a scandal that he had to be removed. So I don't think that they were looking for it. I think they were caught off guard. And even ProPublica did not have a tip or any intimation that this was going on. They just thought, in the great tradition of investigative reporting, that this is an important institution. We
2: should look at it more closely. And they dug it up. Uh, kudos for tremendous reporting. It's such an interesting time in court coverage. Uh, We're talking on the anniversary of the Dobbs decision. The decision uh, leaked several weeks before the final decision last year, which is part of a pattern of sort of distrust around uh, the court inside and outside. I'm fascinated by the uh, response by Samuel Alito when presented some questions from ProPublica. Uh, which has used flight records and photos in Harvard archives to find out where Justice Alito was and who brought him there, uh, to say, I'm not going to answer the questions from ProPublica. Let me publish an op-ed in The Wall Street Journal instead and do an end run around this investigation. From where I'm sitting as a a newsroom employee, it seems like uh, the speed with which that happened means there's probably a lot of truth in what ProPublica published.
3: It was an attempt, obviously, to punish ProPublica. He went to the Wall Street Journal, and he did it before ProPublica published. So he he scooped them. He scooped them with his denial. He scooped
0: them on his own story with a preemptive piece that the Wall Street Journal was happy
3: and the publish. Wall Street Journal gets my opprobrium uh, for this. Um, and, okay, Alito wanted to do a mean thing. He's a mean guy. We already know that from Dobbs. And uh, so he does this thing, which is pretty effective at hurting them. But the Wall Street Journal allowed it. And they did not, in their piece, say ProPublica is yet to publish. They didn't reach out to ProPublica. They were not colleagues. They were not press colleagues. They sided with Alito. And that is not good journalism.
0: And from the perspective of Alito or any politician is that you want to have an opportunity to say what you want to say the way you want to say it. And how do you do it when you have a fairly good inkling about how the story that's in, that's coming together is going to make you appear? And so he did for himself, I think, a smart thing. Not something that I applaud on him no, but for him doing it. No, but you can see it. why he did but it. But I can see why strategically he did it, because he got to lay out everything from his perspective, and he got to say it first. And, and then full, he left ProPublica without, without right without anybody editing. He got to say it just the way he wanted to say it. And then it left ProPublica to have to take from his answers from his response to work into to weave into the story.
3: ProPublica is completely classy. Their response was, "We are happy for impact to any place on our reporting, and that's that's the attitude to have in investigative reporting." Right? And it did if bring it copied, out. Right? If he you're copied, that's a form of flattery.
1: But it, the Wall Street Journal hadn't even seen the original article, so nope. they, so they, how ethical was it for them to even run the piece?
3: Completely like, unethical, as as I said, it's it's not the way you treat. Um, a a colleague in the press. What if it had been reversed? What if it had been Mm -hmm. their story and Alito had gone to ProPublica? How would they have felt then? And here's one other thing. Those Supreme Court justices, uh, sorry, reporters that you mentioned, Judy, they ought to be paying attention because we're dealing with a Supreme Court right now that is remaking America. They are using their power more aggressively than we've seen a Supreme Court act in decades. And they're doing that at the time when trust in them is at a low
2: point. I think the tension is built into the way the court operates. They're uh, behind closed doors, more or less. Their term is short. There are many months that are unaccounted for when these justices have the freedom to uh, tie in a hunting trip to Alaska with a speech uh, to a society. And um, the fact that they're not disclosing it and that there's no mechanism to force them to disclose these trips or gifts, that's where the public credibility gap lies. And I caught hell on this show the last time I talked about Nina Totenberg because somebody wrote in and said, well, you know, you couldn't carry Nina Totenberg's uh, golf clubs. That's not what they said, but that's what they meant. (laughs) She's the best. She's broken some of the biggest Supreme Court stories of all time. Should she have been friends with one of the nine people she's covering on the court, helping her make dinner, bringing her groceries, uh, helping her get up and downstairs to medical appointments over a period of years and never telling her listeners that? I just don't think so.
0: One of the yeah. things I'd like to see the media do now, so, because the Alita story still came out, didn't come out in the order that it should have. The Wall Street Journal didn't do the right thing in publishing his opinion piece, in my opinion. But the story is out there. The issue is out there. And now for the second justice, you have Clarence Thomas. Now you have him. Who knows what else is is out there when we're, that we're going to find out. So is the media now going to stay on top of this? Is there going to be a push for clearer ethics uh, obligations? What I, th- I was a little confused covering- myself about ProPublica was talking about how there's rules, there's ethic rules that those judges are supposed to follow, but Alito was saying, oh, it was fuzzy and there's not, there things there's things not There's no to-
3: specific code for Supreme Court justices. Yes. In general, they follow the code for other federal judges, but they are under no obligation to do so.
2: Unless you think it's a conservative, um, liberal breakdown here, it's not. All nine of them agreed right. with John Roberts together that they would resist the federal pushes for right. further oversight in the light of the Clarence Thomas revelations.
3: And the reporters covering Congress ought to be on top of this too, not just those assigned to the court because it's Congress exactly. who has so far ineffectively called for uh, stricter rules or even something so tame as the Supreme Court deciding on what code of ethics they will follow. And they've resisted even the pot that. calling the kettle black. It's <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, it reminds me of the Kennedy era when some of the biggest revelations about the Kennedy administration came from the Washington Post where its editor was best friends and neighbors with Kennedy ben but hid the fact that Kennedy had severe medical problems was a total womanizer including hanging out with the women the malls of of Mafiosa so was that right Were those revelations those disclosures worth the stories that were covered up or FDR same thing friends of FDR reporter friends which I think is a you can't be both Um, Hid the fact that he had he was a crippled man Um, that never
2: came to light during his time. That's incredible to paraphrase Nina Totenberg about her friendship. She said, you know, she was married to a U.S. senator. She was a is a Washington, you know, sort of social doyen and people came to her dinner table and that's how she found out a lot of stuff. And I think there's some validity to that. But if all of that is true, why keep the secret? Right, And that is where I think the problem is for the Supreme Court right now. It's the secrecy. If this plane trip that cost $100,000 was uh, perfectly fine, then why didn't we know about it before?
3: Well, the truth is it isn't perfectly fine. Judges all the time, every code of ethics talks about the appearance of impropriety. And I'm sorry, a multi-thousand-dollar trip is is. It gives me the appearance of impropriety. That's someone who likes this guy. And when he comes before the court, he's going to rule in a certain way. And that's why they're not doing it. That's just I think that's just words. I did
0: look up the King Salmon Lodge. (laughs) (laughs) And you can get a single room for about 400 bucks a night, which he said because it wasn't a thousand dollars a night. He forgets to mention the private jet, the, the fishing expedition they okay the wine maybe wasn't worth $1000 but maybe it was maybe only it was uh, he said
3: he doesn't think it was and the pro reporters so, talked to people you know, who were there him at the to time to
0: nitpick about something like yeah. uh, the cost of the room but not think that he should have revealed this i want to see what else they come up with they really need for fairness i think to be looking at all of the judges i'm sure they are and you know and then you just hope Not everybody's doing the same thing that they're doing.
2: I remember once there was a member of Congress we uh, spoke to regularly on the congressional corner who mentioned that they they lived in the listening area but had a really hard time getting the station where they lived. And uh, Alan Shartok, our former CEO, decided, um, let's send them this antenna that we have that we were giving away in the fun drive. Uh, It boosts your signal for FM. Um, So we put it in the mail. And a week later, I got a very panicked call from this member of Congress's staff mm-hmm. saying, this looks like a this. gift. We don't know if we can take it. Is it more That's than $35? So <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, to think that that happens and also you can get on a private jet uh, and not have to disclose that. i think it's fine. I just don't yeah. see it.
3: Yeah, yeah and I the, agree. And- and if, I think most of, of your readers and listeners would agree.
0: Yeah. If they thought there was no problem, they would have disclosed it. Right. When they don't disclose it, it means
3: there's something to hide. Well, I think ProPublica deserves enormous credit because they have clearly... Kind of stumbled on, you know, thinking, okay, an important institution with a lot of effect, we need to look at it. And they have stuck with the story They've they come did up a with stuff lot on of Vorsa, they did a too. ton
0: of research for this. oh
3: yeah, this is this is deeply, deeply researched, which is why um, he has Alito is having trouble refuting it even when he got his own editorial. So at this, at the time of taping the show, we don't know what
1: the fate of the submersible that it went to visit the Titanic will be. There's been a lot of talk about how the media has covered this. Um, have we covered it too much? Have we neglected other important stories? Have we sensationalized it? Uh, Ian, what do you think about our coverage? So all of the
2: above, but how can you get past the drama of it? I don't know about you all, but I've just been thinking, what would I do in this situation Breathing slowly to conserve oxygen, stuck in a tiny tube, um, knowing most likely what your fate is going to be for five days. I mean, I think there is a human element here that is extremely compelling, as in past stories like when the miners were stuck underground and there was a yeah. rescue to get them. Uh, the, kids,
3: the kids who were in the cave, the flooded cave, yeah. remember that story?
2: But is it disproportionate to many other uh, situations uh, that are just as unfortunate around the world with much poor people absolutely um, I mean we're talking about it now have we ever talked about a migrant boat going under on this show probably not
3: well I don't know on the show if we have it certainly the media has covered lots of migrant disasters in the Mediterranean and in the Caribbean as they've tried to come into the United States into European shores Seattle has done major investigative work on ferries um, Is there the inherent... You get back to it, Ian, with the drama. There is not the inherent drama, perhaps. It could be done. You'd have to make an effort to do that, to to make that as dramatic as slowly being buried alive under uh, thousands and thousands of uh, gallons of water. That's an amazing story.
2: And the the fact that there's a ticking clock as we speak, um, that just adds to the inherent cinematic drama of it. Also... I think there's some good reporting coming out about it. This boat clearly was not seaworthy based on our understanding. Uh, the CEO has run afoul of regulators over the years. People paid a lot of money to take a really big risk. And uh, this is sort of the outcome right now. So there's there's also, a, uh, you know, there's just a, a general human interest in all of those factors colliding here, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that the human interest factor Really gives us a reason for this story to have been followed every day. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure when the, what the conclusion will be at this point, or or when we'll even know about it. The whole idea of it's fine. It's a finite event. It involves kind of an incredible circumstances of some billionaires going down to what two miles underwater and. Uh, the challenge of trying to rescue them it's it's kinda like the makings of a movie. Mm-hmm. So it is a movie, yeah. I could see the human interest m- people want to know to follow yeah. it. So I'd like to think that it's not an either or thing that we we in the media can and should be doing more uh, more coverage about the migrants is as an example. Talking and the similarity because they're people who are drowning and what's happening to them and why are they in the problem? Why are they having the problems they're having? What efforts have been made or not made to save these people? So not doing a compare and contrast necessarily, but having more regular ongoing coverage of this issue and the people who are, are dying.
3: Well, here, here's one other thing I consider. You know the story of the plane that went down in the in the Amazon and four children oh, were the I only Oh, I love survived. that story. I love that story. It has a happy... But we didn't cover it when it was happening. It's a done deal. We it, The coverage began at the rescue. Why is that? Why were we not every day for six weeks saying, still no sign, but they found a bottle top, they found a fire? Why, why was that? It did occur to me that there was a difference. And that was a case where you have four children who are indigenous people who grew up and know how to use the jungle. It's a fascinating story. Lots of drama. Those two stories seem more equivalent to me, and we did cover it differently. I don't know at what point...
0: The press knew about that situation.
3: I I I really I I don't think that excuses us, does it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. We're covered if we don't know about it. But I I, I remember
1: there were initial stories that the plane went down and there was no sign of the four children, or or that in the in the crash. And so there was some expectation that that they may be alive and out there somewhere, and a search had begun. But Rosemary, you're right. There was this gap. We Mm -hmm. everybody's assuming that these children are likely dead. But they kept on searching, and um, they, what was it? Forty days later, they found. Yeah,
3: six,
0: six. Although none of them were billionaires. (laughs) uh, They, but is it kids like kids? Whatever, thirteen years old and younger, right? One year old to.
3: Is is it really incredible human interest story? We we covered the story of those kids lost in the in the flooded cave day Mm -hmm. by day. That was one we did follow. equally far away as the Amazon. uh, Amazon, um, equally difficult reporting problems there. I don't know why these decisions. Well, with the submersive, it's
0: part of what makes something news is the unusual nature of the story, and the timeliness of it. Right. And this was really unusual.
2: And just to bring in the business side of it, I mean, news operations are leading with it because it's clearly resonating with an audience. People are clicking on the updates. It was breaking news when uh, it was reported that there was some sort of sound coming from the ocean. Uh, people are on the edge of their seat with this story. Uh, yep. I think. Yep,
3: I agree. It's like the miners and the the cave kids. It really is. And there's
1: some like, there has been some accountability journalism with this, but it took a few days for uh, the the reporters to start asking questions about uh, the operation of the company, the integrity of of the vehicle itself and Mm -hmm. I mean it it happened but it it took a little bit of time initially we were you know we were led to believe that this was a a fairly safe and fairly safe as as going two miles under the ocean
3: can be well what one thing Uh, is the CEO of the company himself is on board so I, I mean that as a journalist I'm immediately thinking okay he wouldn't have gone on if he knew it was defective uh, I think there were reasons. The New York Times has, in William Broad is his name, the, the science reporter. He's a deep sea expert. He has himself gone down in submersives on, um, today that we are um, actually uh, taping this. He has a daily report where he talks about it. And he was um, really skeptical from the first. So I'm thinking that it took the the lag between when people are saying, "Hey, we should look at this," and when we actually published was reporting was finding out the regulatory reports and putting it together.
1: So let's move on to artificial intelligence and see where it's affecting journalism. Uh, Germany's build tabloid which is the biggest selling newspaper in Europe. So it announced some cuts recently and that will lead to 200 redundancies. we love that expression here that means 200 people will get laid off. But the publisher at the time of announcing this also warned everyone that people will be losing their jobs very soon because the tasks they are performing in the digital world are, can be performed by artificial intelligence, AI or automated processes. It's coming more and more into journalism and what should we be watching out for and what will be valuable in the journalism realm going forward?
2: I've actually experienced this myself. Uh, I learned how to cover games working for Barb Lombardo as a sports writer and a few (laughs) years after that, the Associated Press announced that they would be using robotic game stories to cover minor league baseball. Instead of having a reporter go and take notes and have a coffee and eat a hot dog and go back to the newsroom and type up the box score and tell the story of what happened, computer could instantly look at a, a box score and basically tell you a narrative of what happened in the game, which was much cheaper than the person. It's forced people who are around sports especially to adapt and bring something else to the table other than play-by-play, which a computer can do. I will say, having read a lot of those uh, accounts written by AI, you're in the uncanny valley. Uh, They can tell you (laughs) that somebody advanced to second on a wild pitch, but Do they see that the runner was off because the pitcher didn't check over a second time and there was a bang-bang tag play at second? Not yet. So I still hold out hope for the human side. But I would say this is not a good development as somebody who works in the news (laughs) in any way.
0: I don't know about that. Um, It's not a good development if you're trying to count human jobs. It could be a good development. Could be. If it is, in fact, being used so that the humans can be writing the stories that a machine can't. The problem is, about the woulda, coulda, shoulda, what happens is those jobs don't continue to exist. They're just gone. So the, the AI becomes aggregators of information that who the heck is writing it? Where's the, where, Who's writing the stories that need to be told? There's got to be an original yeah. aggregator. Yes, or- you need to be people at the scene of something, people interviewing, people thinking and analyzing, people collecting data and writing
3: stories. I think it's all very sweet to be talking about the importance and the superiority of humans. But we didn't feel this way when all those other jobs in newspaper went away over the past decades, when typesetters and all the people in offset and in the back rooms disappeared. Those jobs never came back. And we just said, oh, that's progress. And I think we have to see the same now, that the functions of journalists uh, are changing. And they either, as Ian said, you move on to something else to do more than play by play, to do more than Wrote simple, you know, silly, uh, meeting coverage. If the jobs um, still, if the jobs still exist, they exists. won't. They won't still. And I, exist.
0: I can remember when the, with the advent of what's <clears throat> called pagination, where computers, you would lay out the pages of the newspaper on computers, so you yep. didn't need the people in the back shop to. I mean, started out with letter by letter of creating <laughs> the pages, and then it was strips of paper that they would be gluing to p- create a page, and they didn't need it anymore. But those jobs at my shop and others went to the newsroom so people's jobs in the newsroom got shifted and so instead of people editing copy they were laying out pages and they were, so there was a loss of the skill of editing
3: at that time i think journalism needs to embrace this um, the newspapers have been very slow over the years with the exception of you know online they really did try viewtex like before it actually you know it hurt them they it failed because it was too early but overall, our record at adapting to new technology is really poor. Uh, I can remember an editor who said, blogs, not on my watch, you know, and um, it's, it's dumb. We, we have to move forward. So to say, oh, the human jobs will be lost. Oh, it won't be the same. Forget about it. It's going to happen. Embrace it and figure out the
2: way to do it best. Well, I don't want to sound like a Luddite. Um, we do use <laughs> AI here at WAMC. Uh, it's helpful in some ways, and I'll give you an example. A two-hour legislative hearing... Uh, We use an automated AI transcription service. We load our sound into it, and then we are able to say, okay, at uh, a minute uh, and 19, they talk about this issue that we're interested in. Let's jump to that area of the sound and see what's in there. And that has saved a lot of time in transcribing interviews and just identifying themes and so on of of coverage. Uh, But I think, you know, you do lose something in the long term with having huge human judgment calls uh, be on the table. And I think that's really why um, when I look at my day in the newsroom, the the hard decisions or the times when you have to discuss an issue or how you're going to frame something, is that the right word for the headline? I don't know that the AI has gotten to that uh, ability yet. But if I'm doing like an hour broadcast of some sort and I need to see the story laid out. This uh, transcription that happens in a matter of moments is a real time saver. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps you kind of storyboard whatever st- piece you're going to be working on in a way that used to, by hand, take a huge amount of time, which was not really well spent.
0: And then, could exactly. you then? Because it was all ta- laborious. Ta- for yeah. for yeah. your reporting, could you s- see what happened at the event that was hearing whatever was that was being transcribed? and then go deeper into it and ask questions and put, put it in context.
2: That's the whole ballgame as far as I'm concerned. That's what the human
0: does.
3: <laughs> yeah. it, it seems to me that we should be treating AI like a uh, beginner but promising reporter. And there's many things they can't do, but they can learn it. And they are going to learn how to do it in the future. And that you change your relationship to that reporter as they develop. That's that's the technology. is going It's going to be the same. To try to ban it or to make it um, as educators are, it's plagiarism and cheating. I just think that's so short sighted. I, I agree with you when you say we have to embrace it, but I am
0: wary about the accuracy. Sure. Of
3: the, as an editor, information.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, just real quick on this, someone in my my class last semester turned in a, a Chat GPT season preview about the Yankees, which was all about how bad their offense was, and the fact that they had signed Bryce Harper. Not a single fact in the story was correct, so right. I don't think we're there yet. No. Wow, no, and not.
0: how could a student in your class <laughs> they didn't know dare to put well. something in about the Yankees?
2: That's the only uh, way I caught it. Uh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> ah, thanks to Rosemary, Barbara,
1: and Ian. Thanks also to our producer this week, Jody Cowan. I'm Judy Patrick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Media Project.
2: The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York State Press Association, Judy Patrick, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and RPI and U Albany professor, Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogian and adjunct professor at the University at Albany, and WAMC news director Ian Pickus. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at WAMCpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your producer Jody Cowan. Thanks for listening.
0: Interesting people. Let's give free chairs and freedom of the press.